But welcome back, Blockheads, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the people at your table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. Today we are talking about playing in a world and DMing in a world that is just one village. Just you and a couple of people roaming around in this small town. For those of you who are from New York, like our fa- our favorite Dungeon Master Mitch, or yeah. for those of you who are from L.A., that probably sounds like a terrible idea. Nowhere to roam around, nowhere to really go, just a small world sounds awful. But we are here to enlighten you to the ways of living in a small world and running it as a DM. But before we get into that, we have some iTunes reviews to give a shout out for. Before we do, I'm just going to clarify that I am from Long Island, New York. New York is a whole entire state, but (laughs) the city of New York, (laughs) which I'm not from. (laughs) So our first review comes from both of these reviews actually come from Canada. And the first one is from Zaz. I really hope it's not the Zaz that's from Gotham because... I, I don't really want any connection to Zaz from Gotham, but <laughs> Gotham I don't think is in Canada. That would it has be now very, run away to that'd Canada. That would be really interesting if, if Gotham was in Canada. But uh, Zaz writes, thank you, five stars. Hi, guys. Just wanted to thank you for the podcast. I've been having some pretty bad health issues for a little over a year now. I just started DMing, and it's really helping me keep my mind off of my health issues. When I'm preparing for sessions and when I'm DMing, I don't think about anything else. I'm just completely focused on the task at hand, enjoying the moment. Thank you for the tips and for the story times. It's a great podcast. Thank you, Saz. Thanks, Saz. We're really, really thankful for you writing in, writing in this review. And we're happy that the podcast is helping you with DMing and just enjoy the moment. And I have another review also from Canada. You already mentioned that. But this one is from Dranku, and he says, The top tens are the best. Five stars. And they write, I'm loving this. Keep on going. Short, sweet, and to the point. Yeah. Uh, so we thank you for that review as well, Dranku. People love the top tens, and we're yeah, glad that they, they do. They do, and we are thankful that they love them. But with that, we are going to head into this portion of the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carving up! Fist of mouthful! The flat meat back on the menu, boys! So today for this juicy edition of the meat, we are joined by Flawful Jared. Flawful Jared, say hello to our listeners. Hello to our listeners. Hey, there you go. You do that every time you come on here for some <laughs> reason. But as do a lot of our guests, it's kind of interesting. But he is our friend from college that we have the privilege of being able to still play with. And so, Jared, we just have a few questions for ourselves, and Mitch has the first one for you. We've had you on before, but we've never really formally just asked you some of these questions. So first off, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a high-level husband and father and a low-level <laughs> geek. I have a daughter who is five, turning six soon, and twin boys on the way in September. You're going to be very, very busy. <laughs> very busy, yes. Been married for almost two years. It'll be two years in August. Uh, when it comes to being a geek and fulfilling that portion of who I am, uh, I don't get to play D&D as much as I would like to, uh, but I like to sit in my basement in my alone time and create worlds that nobody will experience. So. It's not creepy at all. Because <laughs> when you say basement, I picture like dingy, dusty, even though I've been to your house and been to No, your that basement. would be accurate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, you sit in the accurate. little one, the one room that's dingy right, and ne- dusty. Next and to the furnace. And you yeah. yeah, when he's being naughty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, so as your kids start to grow up, do you have plans on running D&D for them? them around a table family D&D time I have plans yes my <laughs> wife has contradictory plans other plans yeah so <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> Flawful Jared how did you first get started into role playing games then Yeah I started playing Dungeons and Dragons in college Mitch uh, was really influential in in getting me started he had been st- uh, playing with a group of guys who went to the school, and then we had <laughs> which, some... Which part of it was Chris, who was, influ- I was influential in getting me to that table, so full circle. So really, I was influential in getting you started in D&D. <laughs> right, so I'll just ignore Mitch from now on, since he doesn't really matter. Yeah, so just playing around the table for the first time, I remember thinking, 
that it was kind of weird. I didn't know anything about it, but I really wanted to experience it, even if just to say I tried it and move on, but really fell in love with the idea of of playing a character and being able to do whatever you want. I remember my first time at the table, and it was my turn, and the DM said, all right, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I didn't get a list of options. <laughs> I was looking for a list of 10 <laughs> things I could do or something. So uh, it was a really freeing experience to play for the first time, and I've been playing ever since. Awesome. And we have a surprise question for you, as we do all our guests. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, Blake Ryan. And he asks you, Flawful Jared, your first level character is the only survivor of the quest and finds a ring with one wish. What do you do with that one wish? If I'm a level one character and I have one wish and I've seen all of my friends and companions be vanquished in front of me, I think my wish is to be back home in my bed uh, <laughs> with a nice uh, down pillow and comforter and a nice warm bowl of soup. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. That sounds really appealing, actually. <laughs> Not to resurrect your friends, but... <laughs> well, they're failures, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. So today, Flawful Jared, we have you coming on because you are really interested in the concept of running an entire campaign in one small town. So one small town campaigns. Starting off, if you're going to run a campaign in one single small town, there, of course, has to be some sort of setup for that campaign. And so we want to start off by talking about what is the setup to to beginning a small town campaign? When I'm creating a world that's going to take place or a story campaign that's going to take place in a small village or on a, in a D&D setting, traditional D&D setting, the first thing I do is start listing some of the important sort of characters and NPCs that are going to be in the town. I always like to find a list online, and there's a couple resources for this, that lists pretty much what's needed occupationally for a small town to be self-sustaining or nearly self-sustaining. And so I began with getting a list of, you know, you have the baker, you have a seamstress, you have the wheat farmers, you have the miller, and you have all these roles that in order to have this town, you need to, that need to be there. And I really like pulling out some important ones and developing some NPCs. One of the great things about a small world is that unlike a, a, a large-scale game where you might have 25 different blacksmiths in all these villages and cities, you have 40 to 50 people, perhaps more, but at least 40 to 50 people. And you can have a name for all of them. They can be parts of families. And you can create a really dynamic world through the people the everyday people, bakers and blacksmiths and coopers and tanners. I think it's really important to, as you're even, haven't even played the first night of the campaign, you need some of those NPCs really fleshed out and who they are in your mind, especially people like, like maybe the seamstress doesn't, you don't need to have this whole backstory and whole like personality written out for, but like if this town has a mayor, you better going into this campaign have a good understanding of how does this mayor run this town? How do people view this mayor? What is the morality of this mayor who's running the town? Like the big wigs of the town, the head of the town guard, if there even is a town guard, like that's an important person. If you're heroes your pcs are going to be going to a blacksmith blacksmith is going to be an important person if they like to go to the local bar the barkeeper is going to be an important person and and understanding who these people are because i i think we as dms so often we don't play games like this this is really rare to say hey we're going to set up a entire campaign that we're going to be staying in this one town this entire campaign and so we are very, very used to doing it differently, where we're going from town to town. And so, I mean, for me, I know I don't set up every bartender and their personality. I don't set up every mayor and their personality. And I handle that when it comes up in game. Like, oh, you do want to go to this bar? Okay, well, I have I have at least written down the name of a bar or I can pull up a, a bar name on the internet. And then from there, I'm going to figure out who that guy is a lot of the times in the moment. But if you're setting up this town, like this town is already defined. And this is a good place for you with character creation night to even 
work with your players and go, well, why don't you guys help me to come up with some of these NPCs? If we're sitting around and Jared, you're going to DM this campaign, you can say, hey, Chris, why don't you figure out the bartender's name? Why don't you tell me what his personality is like? Is he really happy and does he like always welcome people in or is this kind of more of a gruff guy that like maybe he's lost an eye uh in a war for a while ago he's a retired soldier and he doesn't really talk to people and so he just serves you drinks and people in this town have become accustomed to that fact yeah i really like that idea of having the the players come up with some of the npcs because when they do that one you're taking a little bit of that load of work off of you that we all you know have when we go into setting up a campaign in a small town. I've never done a small town campaign before, but that would that would be my initial inclination is I have to come up with all of these NPCs for this town of 50 people. But now you have the players coming up with a lot of these NPCs and they are creating these great relationships with them. And what's happening in that moment is, you know, we we all try to come up with NPCs as DMs. Some of them stick and some of them are absolute flops where you're like, this guy's awesome. Like he's going to be such a huge prominent part in this campaign. And then, the you know, your players are like, forget them. We don't want to go with them. But let's go with this person that you barely mentioned, you know. And in this moment, you're creating a whole town that is made up of people that all of your players have buy-in with. They have these relationships with them going in when they play their characters already. And so I love that idea of being able to have your players come up with a lot of these NPCs interactions with each other and with with them as characters as well right and a lot of it is gonna have your player characters being from this village you may have one or two that are strangers maybe all of them are strangers but usually what's gonna happen is so and so is going to be a fighter and he decides that he wants to be the blacksmith's son and that's something if you're creating this world that you should know ahead of time and he can tell you about his blacksmith father and what that means And as you create these NPCs, whether it's with the player characters or on your own, it's going to beg some of the questions that need to be answered or should be answered about world creation. When you're dealing with all these different people that all know each other, you're going to have to answer questions like, well, how is the authority structured? Is it a mayor? Is it a council of women, perhaps? Uh, Is there a wizard who is sort of the village elder? And answering all those sorts of questions and seeing how uh, the dynamics of the people in this world come together. Well, and that's going to also change the town itself. If the town is run by a group of women, the way that they view women is going to be different than some of the other towns that may be around here. If the town is run by a local wizard, the way that they view magic is going to be really determined on how that wizard rules. If the wizard rules with kind of an iron fist, kind of like just using his magic to control the town, they're going to, a lot of the villagers, a lot of the townspeople are going to hate magic. But if the wizard uses his magic for good, like we're a town that grows corn primarily, and man, people love our corn because the wizard casts in large spells, and so we just we just have huge things of corn, and like, this town loves magic because this awesome wizard who just enlarges corn constantly. <laughs> and then secretly, the corn becomes mutated and starts eating all of the people. That's, that's the twist on that. Come on. Weird things happen in small towns. I think that's a good thing that to talk about is that quirks is what will make a lot of these NPCs both lovable and memorable is like even coming up. And I think we all really like the idea of have your players create some of these characters. So give them a list of things that like would be good for them to give, like give them some fears, give them the cue card that just says name, occupation, fear, loves, quirks like and then you just can have these cue cards that you can work with. So it's not like, oh, you guys don't need to go see the blacksmith. Oh, I got to come up with something. But at the same time, you will still have plenty of opportunities to come up with NPCs out of the blue, if that's something you're worried about. You will still have that. Like, you shouldn't go through the entire town, even like even if it's a town as small as, like, 40 people. That's a daunting task to come up with 40 NPCs before you come up with a campaign. You don't need to come up with the farmer who grows the corn over in this field over here when... It comes up and your players need to go see him. Uh, Farmer Maggot. He's Farmer Maggot and he is this and his personalized list. You come up with it on the fly. You're going to still have that opportunity 
And just like any good D&D campaign, some of those characters that come up with a fly will become really important because the players will latch on to your on-the-fly creating of those characters. Yeah, I really like the idea of them coming up with those specific types of things. I just imagine like maybe one of your players comes up with a fear for the local seamstress or whatever. Maybe they really are scared of fire. And so every single time they go in, they go in at dusk with like a lantern that has a little bit of fire and just to watch their reaction or something like that. <laughs> just having that little extra buy-in in the small town makes it makes it feel much more homey and much more like a small town because you know all of the intricate details of these NPCs that are around. So Jared, I think that an important part about making a small town campaign is the economy of the town. You kind of have to figure out what is it that runs this town? How do they make their money? What is their like their trade good? That's an important part that's going to really define the entire town. Right. If this town is nestled on a main road or a main river that's used, I mean, it can be a trading town where there is a little bit more wealth and it could still be small, but maybe you have a lot of merchants and it's a merchant town. Or maybe it's just a farming village and, you know, there is some gold in the mayor's chest in his house, but really people get by through bartering, yeah. trading pigs for wheat and all this sorts of stuff. And uh, and that's a really interesting way to put it. You know, I one of the reasons I like 5e, not that this is a edition-specific podcast, but I like 5e because gold is less important, it seems, and there's not really an economy for magic items. And so you don't have to emphasize gold and, and you can... Begin focusing on how to reward players in really role-play strong ways when you don't have a strong economy. And you're likely not going to have a strong economy in a small town. I think determining that economy of that small town really is going to be one of the first things that'll get your mind able to imagine what this town looks like. Like you said, if it's like a farming town, you're you're picturing lots of farms in this like more kind of smallish town, but there may be a lot of land because people are growing crops constantly. There's a lot of farmers and what that kind of atmosphere is brought about by farming, a farming village. If their main trade good is sheep, you know, wool, just the meat from lamb, there's going to be large fields all around this. And many of the people in the town are going to be shepherds. If their trade is lumber, you're going to have a town that's either in the woods or surrounded by large areas of forest coal is a mining town and what that brings along with it and the dangers that brings along with it and just the wives and kids like sending their saying goodbye to their husband and fathers every day as they go down into the mines and I mean, the mines in a medieval type society would be dangerous enough if we didn't say this is a D&D world where what if they <laughs> what if the dwarves dig too deep and they hit something, <laughs> you know, like what if what if an Umber Hulk attacks one day? That's one Umber Hulk for a small town is a dangerous, dangerous. Yeah. thing. Yeah, I think of the idea, too, of, you know, not just what is our economy here, but what types of people come because of our economy yeah. for trading. What trades do the does the town not have kind of thing? Right. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like the peddler who comes by or the, the, the trader who's the go between between them and the bigger city who needs all of their corn, you know. So what kind of stories does he bring? Like, do little children flock to this trader because he has these cool stories of what it's like to be in the city or or does you know when the trader comes what types of environment does that bring with him when he enters into a town what types of goods does he have with him this time to trade with the city i think that's also something that's that could be really fun to play with as well yeah if it's a remote town that trader becomes really important because he comes yeah. in and he gives you the news of what's happening in in the world maybe there's only one road that leads out of this town because it's in a valley that is surrounded by mountains and really a lot of people in this town never have left this town so they loved yeah like the kids they love to hear stories from this trader and this trader is seen as like a, almost a Gandalf even though he's a regular trader because he come he's just a regular trader Joe he just comes <laughs> in and he shares stories of the outside world and and maybe he even like loves it so much that one of his quirks is that he's like that guy that tells like the fish stories his stories about outside yeah, right. town like he he emphasizes them he adds to them he makes them seem bigger than they are and the kids 
there he loves to see the kids like their eyes just grow bigger and bigger with each and every story that or he he's the old guy that comes back to town and tells the same story a second time but it's different and everybody's like what he's like oh oh sorry i told this i told this story to a different town a different way <laughs> this trader might be really important to your players your player characters because maybe there's an item that they would love that they they've heard about but the town is not able to provide them and as they go higher in level maybe they go to this trader be like hey can you bring back this for us we've heard about this this would be really helpful to us or for our town could you do that for us right every everything in a small town is going to be worth more whether it's stories or even a longsword it's all going to be worth more and there's a lot of great hooks and things you can do as a dm in a small town that you can't do in a large city or in a large world especially economically if you've got a, a farming town and there's a drought the people in the village are really in trouble. Or even if it's a mining town that relies on a neighboring village for food and they have a drought, there's a lot of connections and hooks that you can draw simply from being an impoverished or poor or small town. I think another interesting thing to think about too is, you know, oftentimes some of us, we do come up with maps for every single town that our our players will be visiting. In other cases, some of us, we just, we don't, we don't do that. That's a lot of work. We don't know where our players want to go. We don't know what cities they're going to go into. We just know the general layout of what the city looks like. But in this instance, it might be a fun time to experiment a little bit with mapping out the entire town. It could be something where, you know, you you take a map and because it's only 40 to 50 people, maybe 100 people, you know which house has four or five people living in it. You know where the the blacksmith shop is. Maybe his house is on top of the blacksmith shop. You know, there's there's all of these fun things that you can do. And I just imagine as you're making this map, maybe what would it be like to be a somebody entering into the city the first time? What do you see on the outskirts of the town? What do you see when you walk down the main road of this town? Is the blacksmith off to the left-hand side? Is, is the general goods store off to the right-hand side? I love the idea of just being able to really get into mapping out this town. A lot of times when you're DMing a campaign, the places battles take place are usually in a squarish looking dungeon or in the woods and it's open terrain. If you are planning a small village and you know that one of the big problems is going to be bandits, you can start from the very beginning thinking, how does the layout and the positioning of buildings and resources affect battle? And then you can begin really crafting some interesting ideas of how a battle would look uh, when you're fighting in between the houses of people you love and respect and have grown up with. I think that when you're mapping out a town as well, this is another great opportunity for you to work with your players during character creation night and say, let's create this town's map together. And not only does that, once again, like you said, Chris, like take a little bit of the load off of your shoulders, but it also gives the players agency and they're going to be so invested in this town, regardless if they make the map or not, because this is their home. This is where they're playing in. But like if they make the map as well, they're going to remember it better. They're going to have a better visual idea of like where things are. And I think it is important to to know where things are in the town. It doesn't you don't have to know what every single building in the town is. In fact, I would say leave some buildings obviously free in case you need to come up with a building on the spot. And you're like, oh, we didn't add that in. Let's draw a house in right here for this. But it is important to know where the mayor's house is. If there's a mayor, everybody's going to know where there is. If this is a, like, there's a lord and everybody else is like the serfs, you'd know where the castle is, whether it's a small castle or not. The blacksmith is probably important. The houses of the PCs that are going to play in the campaign, it's important to know where they are. And then you can just kind of, you can kind of determine those even by the districts of the town. And so if it's a small town, districts might not be the right word, but are all the houses that people live in in one area and then there's a small area that there's a marketplace in is there a, is there even some kind of entertainment area where there's the local pub and maybe there's a small theater group that the bard pc is part of and he will go and do things in the town square because that's where that's located at it's good to know a somewhat generalized layout of the town and mapping that out is a good way to do that i love the idea of being able to say to your players Meet me behind the smithy. Which yeah. which smithy? There's two of them. Oh, the one off of Wallace Street or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I know right where I like. I literally know right where that is. And one of the benefits to this would be is maybe because you're only in one place, 
you could make the map and blow it up in size and have it like hanging behind you as the That'd DM. Be great. I think that's a great, great segue into what we want to talk about next is the benefits of one town campaigns. And Chris, that is obviously a benefit is that the PCs can know the town like the back of their hand and oh, yeah. the, like by mapping it out. And then even the more and more you play, the more and more they will visually in their mind have this idea of what this town looks like, where things are, and they're, they're going to know and start to really love this town. What are some other benefits? Yeah, I think another benefit to doing a small-scale campaign is really the benefit of zooming in on something. You know, a lot of times the temptation is to create a massive world. Uh, even if it's, even if you start small, the temptation is to still grow in continents and different cultures and all these things. Uh, when you think of an airplane that's flying over and you're looking out the window, you can kind of tell that there's farms here and there's rivers here and mountains here, but you have no idea what's going down below, and it's really hard to get an understanding of what's happening. But as soon as that plane starts to, starts to descend and you start to zoom in, you really see a lot more detail. And I think there's great benefit to doing that. You know, if you put the amount of effort that you put into creating an entire world, into making this small town or even some of the neighboring villages, there's a lot of detail that really gets, you really invest in. And whereas in a large scale, you might be describing a dungeon one time, you're describing the mayor's house over and over and over again. You're describing the village square and what's changing over time over and over and over again. And those images really begin to cement themselves in the minds of the players. You really get to zoom in on who each and every NPC in the campaign is. And really, unless death occurs or somebody moves away, these are not NPCs that are going to be leaving the campaign. Like, the blacksmith is going to be the blacksmith. The mayor is going to be the mayor. And these people are going to be sticking around, and they're going to be really important to your campaign because they're not going anywhere. And if you're playing this as a small-town campaign, your PCs aren't really going anywhere. And so they all become really important, and you're able to really zoom in on each NPC that your players really grab onto and are like, oh, the, this guy, I want to know more about this guy. And you're able to develop such deep personalities with each and every one of the NPCs. And I think that's going to be a huge benefit. I mean, it's those NPCs, the ones that your players get to know, that your players' characters get to know and love that become so crucial to emotional role-playing moments, like critical role-playing moments in your story with your players. I love the idea of the small things that you do every day could have a huge impact on this town. So, you know, you're, you're in a large town and something happens to one of the many smithies in this town. And it's like life goes on, horseshoes still get fixed, carts still get fixed, you know, all the metal things that you need done, they still get fixed. But in the small town, if the one smithy ends up dying and he doesn't have an apprentice... What happens in that moment? Like you have to start trading for things or you have, you know, and then your economy gets hit in that way. Or, you know, you accidentally set your house on fire while you're cooking and there's another person's house right next door. Well, now you actually have a really big relationship with this person. It could burn down the whole town, you know, like these little things that happen that might not be a huge difference in a, in a major city now play such a larger part in the overall story of this town. Yeah, again, there's a lot of really good role-playing opportunities that happen there. If they capture the baker's daughter and they also capture the mayor's daughter and you're left with this choice, you either save one or the other, that's going to have a dramatic impact. There's lots of little choices that you can force your players into that dramatically impact the story. You know, is the mayor going to hate you for the rest of your lives or is the baker going to you know, move away and move out of the town because he's just lost his, his only daughter. So you, you make one person mad that is in this town. It could potentially ruin you forever in this town. In a big city, you make the person next door mad. Well, you don't have to interact with that person anymore because there's other people you can go and do business with. And so it's really interesting to see like how you treat people in this campaign. You can no longer just say, well, then I'm just going to move to the next person, next place that'll take me for who I am. And you, you, can, you really can't do that in this campaign which makes it really interesting for people to work through some of those dilemmas. Or if people are jerks to you and you don't interact with them, like what if the warrior in your group becomes enemies with the local blacksmith? That's kind of awkward. Like, does he have to like, he can never go into the shop again and he has to like send you in and be like, 
can you like see if you can get a sword for me? And if they know that you're friends with him, do they send you the wizard who's looking to buy a sword away? Because they're like, I know why you're trying to buy this sword. You're trying to buy it for your warrior friend. I don't want his business. Get out of my store. Like, does the whole entire group get banned if they try to like do that? And then what do they have to do? They have to talk to the trader who comes in every single like couple of weeks and be like, could you bring us back a plus one sword? Like we have the gold. Like that'd be great. (laughs) I think still speaking on this idea of zooming in and really more detail, I think it's important to note that for those DMs out there like myself who love world building, a small village doesn't mean less creativity. It doesn't mean less investment if you choose to do so. It doesn't mean less detail uh, because just because you're zoomed in, you know, you really get to spend a lot of time. Instead of planning mountain ranges and river deltas, you're planning out the village square and the grassy knoll. You're planning out the mayor's and his inn and what that looks like. And you can even begin to develop what buildings look like, maybe what an abandoned mining tunnels what those might look like in the town and so there's a lot of detail that you can still put into the campaign and i think at a small scale it's a lot more effective and you really get to see your creativity and the things you choose to do really shine a lot more at a small scale and that being said with a small scale you always have time to do more and to grow just because you're doing a campaign it doesn't mean you have to take the characters from level one to level 20 you can grow and you can move out of the town and there can be things that draw you away so then you can begin going from planning this small town to planning the neighboring towns and planning that province and planning that continent and you can grow from there if that's something you and your players want to do yeah i think that's a good point too it's this is something that you can all try as listeners to dm and if this is something that you decide like oh this isn't really working out like my players aren't really enjoying this or i'm not really enjoying this then leave the town (laughs) that's okay you're not being held here if the campaign isn't going the way that you want it to. Well, and in the same way that this can be, if it needs to be a starting point for the main story and campaign, this is also a great way to have some origin story for some characters that if you do want to take to a next level, this is how they started. You get to see uh, the farmer becoming the fighter. You get to see the mayor's daughter becoming a great warlock in the group. And you get to develop uh, real origins for characters going from mundane people to heroes. All this gives you a place that even if you decide to leave the small town campaign behind and move on to different towns, different cities, different areas of the world, you still have, through running a small town campaign, you have still set up a home base that your characters will always care about. They will always yeah. have stake in. They will always have friends in this town, family. Family's a good thing to build up, like to create families that your PCs have in this town. They will always have a place to call home and that if that place ever becomes threatened again, they will always have this pull to go home and help with their hometown that is under threat from something. I think that's a big point is that even though it's a small town, because of the fact that your players, it is their home, it is their place where their families live, where their friends live, it's a small town, but the stakes are actually a lot higher in small town campaigns than they are in a lot of other campaigns. When you go into a city or a town that you haven't really had any connection to as an adventuring group in other campaigns, you hear about a NPC's death in that town. It's just like, eh, whatever. Like, people die all the time in this world. If you hear about a death in your own town, like, especially a small town, a death is a big thing. It's a big deal. If a town becomes under attack in this big world mentality, it's like, well, towns become under attack all the time in a D&D world. And you may have like that, like, well, do we go over here and help the town that's un- under attack or do we go do this? But in a small town, this is the town. This is where your home is. This is where you live. If the town becomes under attack, it's really high stake. Every NPC is important because they are all from your home. Every NPC is crucial because they each play an important role in the small town society. 
every building is important because like you said, Chris, even like a, a small fire in one house, which is not a big deal to a, it happens all the time in a D and D world. Why would your adventurers care? Well, it yeah. matters if that fire starts spreading and it starts becoming a threat for the entire town. And even the fact that one building burns down, maybe you're friends with the person who that building burned down. All of the things that happen in this small town have high stakes because yeah, like you said, that that person's house next door burns down. What's going to happen? Say it's somebody who owns the granary, you know, where all of the vegetables and things are stored until they are traded and they live in the, in the floors above it. Well, what happens then? Your granary just went up. Your livelihood just went up. You know, things like that cause a lot of issues within a town. And so the the things that could happen that are potentially bad are huge in comparison to it being a larger town. And and on the flip side of that too, you have like, you know, the classic love story, two people fall in love in this town, right? Like you find that that bar maiden or you find the Smithy's daughter or whoever, you know, that the Smithy's son falls in love with somebody else. You know, it's in that moment that affects everybody in the same way as something bad happening. So everybody's invited to the wedding. Everybody's a part of the big party. You know, something good can come from those things from those high stakes as well. I think some of the most inspirational and influential stories, even in real life, are the stories that involve a small town that just got hit by a big storm or a lot of the houses were, were taken up by a tornado or something. And you see these communities coming together to solve a problem and to fix things and to support each other and to love each other. And these really inspirational elements of our humanity that we see sometimes from afar and sometimes up close of everyday life, those things can influence even a fantasy world and a D&D world, and you can begin really making memorable moments and stories by how a village that nobody else in the world cares about, that nobody else in the world would stand up and defend, and you can create this village that that overcomes great obstacles and comes together. That's part of it, is that maybe you're such a small town that nobody cares about you. So who will fight for this town? The PCs, the ones who are going to be the heroes of this campaign. And you know what? The PCs of this campaign, the heroes of this campaign, maybe the whole world does not care about them. Yeah. But this town certainly does because they're the ones who are there when this town does become under threat from goblins or kobolds, little things that nobody really cares about. Whatever it is, you could you don't have to stay low level creatures. You can get higher level for a small town, but like it's just this idea of like who cares about this town? Well, we do, us as players. We care about this town. We have a really big stake in this town. It's our home, and we want to protect it. Yeah, if I'm playing a character that just saved the entire world, that's great for me as a player, and and I can appreciate that, but it's really hard for me to relate to that. But if I'm playing a character that just saved my friends and my family and my loved ones, I connect with that, and I instantly that character becomes a part of me for the rest of my life because I remember that and I can relate to that. All this being said, obviously we all are very passionate about thinking that this is an awesome idea for DMs to try a small town campaign. That being said, I can guarantee there are players out there who might really have a difficult time creating PCs for a small town campaign. A lot of players may have a difficult time going, why am I not just leaving? I want to, I'm creating an adventurer. I'm creating a, a warrior, a hero, a wizard. Like, why am I not leaving this town? What's holding me here? So we wanted to give you as the DM listening, who's going to be hopefully working with your players, especially in the sense of a character creation night where you can sit down and be like, what kind of what kind of character you want to play? Okay, let's work on why. Why is he going to stay in the small town? What are the kind of heroes that fit into a small town campaign? I think, first of all, I think one of the ways that you could answer that question if your players are like, well, why doesn't my character leave? I think it could be that that reason why a lot of people don't leave small towns from around the world, because it's home to them. That's where they call home. That's where their family is. That's where they've always grown up. This is what they know. They know that they can go out and adventure and do these big things, but for whatever reason, the big city life does not appeal to them. So the warrior that could be a leader of a mercenary guild doesn't want to be a part of the large city because he's giving up 
the special qualities that a small town has or the wizard that goes off, you know, it's the, it's the classic kid goes off to college trope from the world (laughs) that we have now where they go off to the university or wherever the, you know, the magic school, wherever it is and comes back and says, Hey, I have all of these great abilities now that I can help this town out with. It's not going to benefit them. If I go and live in the big city, it's going to benefit them if I stay here and my heart is really still here. I think each and every class really has options available to it that can make a lot of sense for a why doesn't this hero want to leave the town. Right away when I think of a monk, I think of maybe this town has a monastery that's either in the town or right outside the town. And these monks are sworn to the monastery and they've also become sworn to protecting the innocent who live in this small town. And so why don't they leave the town? Because that this is their home, this is their place, this is where their monastery is, and it is their duty to protect this town whenever there is danger in this town. Another idea would be just a retired adventure. You're the player who really loves to make up crazy backstories. All right, go for it. You were an adventurer. What were your adventures that you went for? Now you're an older man or woman who's like settled down in this town because they just can't keep doing adventures, but they still want to stand up for what's right. I think of like a an old retired paladin would be really good here. Just like he just lives in a little house in town and people talk about him. He may be like the talk of the town, like, man, like, did you hear what that old paladin like he used to do? And he used to like they share stories about him, but he just kind of likes to be left alone. But he still when things come and are threatening the town. He just can't stay seated and stay in retirement anymore. He's got to help protect that town. Right. You can have the kind of player or the kind of character, I mean, uh, that wants to go off and and has tried that even, but has some incredible homesickness that they never expected. Hmm. Uh, And so they're drawn back home. Or even the kind of character that, that goes off to do amazing things, but keeps getting letters from home about all these bad things that happen. And so every time they leave, something goes wrong. And so they're called back home or they need somebody to help. And you're the only person, you're the only character who can help in that situation. I love the idea of somebody playing a bard and being a complete narcissist and <laughs> not wanting to compete for bars to play in every night. So they I just go it. to a town and they have a captive audience forever yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they're the only ones that know how to play these items that they can play. They have like hero worship in the town. All the town, yeah. like he loves soaking in when everybody in the town's like, we have the greatest bard ever. Like, and really it's like, maybe that's the thing. He isn't so great. Maybe he has yeah, left right. at some point and he came back because there were so many talented bards out there. And he's like, he wanted to be around people who treated him like a rock star all day. As, as long as people don't make it to the big city, they won't know I'm a flu- <laughs> I'm a fluke. I'm, I'm a fake. <laughs> but I, you know, for, for druids too, I mean, you, you put them out in the middle of a forest and maybe this forest is the only one that has a, specific type of animal that this druid wants to work with or a specific type of plant or tree or whatever it is that only this area can give to the druid and so that's why this druid is a part of a town i think that could be really interesting as well yeah just like when i was saying with the economy everything in a small town becomes more valuable whether it's money or a longsword or an interesting character yeah You know, your characters become more valuable, more special, more interesting when the backdrop to their life is the mundane and the boring. Not every adventurer needs to be obsessed with treasure. Some adventurers are obsessed in an unhealthy way, and that can be a flaw of them with praise. And so like that bard, there may be, you know, a warrior who loves being in this town because when trouble comes, it's almost an adrenaline rush for him because he knows, oh, I've got to go save this town again and get all the praises from all the townspeople and I will have fruit baskets dropped off at my door for weeks to come now. (laughs) And he loves it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it'd be really hard not to become a narcissist if you're really powered in a town. Like, I'm just going to say it. It would be really difficult not to be. Especially when you have something that nobody else can offer but you. You could use that to such advantages uh, in a small town. I mean, why can't also the reason that you aren't leaving this town be of magical means in a D&D universe? You could have a warlock who maybe he made a pact with a extraplanar being for something. Maybe his sister was dying of an illness that he could not 
do anything about. And so he came home and maybe he was a really powerful adventurer and he was doing things for good or for evil. And this extra planar being said, I will heal your sister, but you can never leave the boundary wall of this town ever again, or you will die. And so now he's this guy who wants to adventure, wants to save people or hurt people. You can have an evil character, whatever it is. Like this is this is up to you and your players to decide what this character is. But he can't leave because if he leaves that, if he goes past that small stone wall, he will die. He'll he'll perish forever. Or or it could even be like you're hiding out. Maybe there's a wizard who's hiding out in this town. He is a powerful wizard, but he's hiding out because something or someone outside of this village that nobody cares about is looking for him in the real world. And he's afraid. Maybe he's, maybe your character's a little bit of a coward that he doesn't want to leave because somebody's out to get him. I was thinking about, you know, why would some of the characters that I've played with want to stay? And I think about the kind of characters that I often end up sitting next to at a table. And they're the ones that are really gold hungry. They're the ones that (laughs) they're the ones that see gold as a better level, a marker of how they're doing than experience or whatever. And and I think there's opportunity. If you want to be that sneaky rogue or that greedy person uh, to find yourself as the town steward, who's in charge of the finances and things. And you're slowly just lining your pocket with gold and silver until you have enough to go retire off somewhere else. Well, are you doing that the whole time and your players don't even know that that's happening? Right. You know, your other PC characters, that are in the game yeah. don't know that you as the rogue are stealing money from them because you're the steward of the city. Or maybe you're just a really lazy rogue that he doesn't want to go around from town to town, but he's decided that, man, the, the trade routes out of the city are really nice to chill in the woods around here and just rob people. And he just he just hangs out in this town and like goes in the woods every now and then and he pops out on the road and he... Give me your money or I'll shoot you with this crossbow in the face. So mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you could have like an orphan boy who lives in the street. Uh, Jared, I know you played a, a, a child once in a and d campaign. I think you really enjoyed it. But you could be an orphan, an orphan boy that lives in the street. And one day he realizes that he has the power of magic and is actually a really talented sorcerer. And so why isn't he leaving this town? Well, he, he doesn't really have anything He's like leaving this town. What's that going to do for him? But like some of the other PCs can go, this orphan boy could be useful to our town. Let's have him help us with this. Or just even a ranger who is a hunter by trade. A hunter fits into the class of ranger. There's so many options. And even even family. We I, I think we, we've talked about family a lot, but just having a family in this town is a good reason to say, my character's not leaving this town because my family's here. And I want to protect them. And I love them. So hopefully that helps you in your working out with your players what kind of characters to build for a one town campaign. Let's wrap this up now with just giving some ideas of what kind of adventures, what kind of encounters, what kind of things can you go through for a one town campaign? There's a lot of cities, even in real life in the real world, that are built on top other ancient cities. And you can end up getting through underground tunnels and finding these buildings, these great halls that used to belong to a great city. I think it's pretty cool if you're a small town that happens to be built on top of a great ancient city and there's a lot of secrets and a lot of dangers and maybe even treasure uh, and even things to find out about the true ancestry of the people in the town. You find it out. Like that's the beginning of your campaign. Your town finds it out. The mayor maybe finds it out and he calls you as like the most capable people in the town that could handle this. And he shares this information that the miners or whatever it is like came across the secret tunnel into the secret underground ruin of a civilization. And they don't want to tell the rest of the world because then we're going to have people coming in from the kingdom nearby and wanting to take all the gold for themselves. No, they want to keep it in this Mm -hmm. town and they are going to hire you. And like you could have a huge dungeon crawl that takes place right underneath your town. That's a fantastic idea. Just even little things that, once again, could be seen as kind of mundane for most adventurers are really important. If you have that that town that is in that valley with mountains around, and there's only one road leaving out of that town, if that road that's in the middle of a woods starts becoming under attack, traders become under attack by bandits or goblin marauders, that's something that you and your adventurers are going to want to go and find out and fix. There's a fun little thing that you could take from our own world where big companies come into small towns because of the natural reserves under the under the ground. 
So what happens if dwarves have the ability to tell that there's great treasure underneath your town? And they come rolling in with their, their big carts and their heavy dwarven machinery to drill up the ground <laughs> underneath or whatever. Like, how would your players react to that type of thing? I think that could be kind of fun to throw your players for a little bit of a loop. What does the negotiating look like for that sort of thing? You could turn that into a mystery. Dwarves start coming into your town and they won't tell you why. And then you start hearing these like weird sounds coming from the woods. And it's these dwarves using those drill machines to dig under the earth. And they're trying to do the exact thing that Jared was saying. Like, oh, this town, this town doesn't want to tell other people about this ruin underneath. The dwarves are like trying to sneak in and not let the town know that they're trying to get the gold that's under underneath their their town by just like sneaking around them and and having that be a mystery that the party has to figure out and what do you do now with these dwarves that have come and like they're trying to take stuff from underneath your town and maybe it goes even further and the dwarves really don't care about the stability of the town and if they dig in a certain way the whole town's going to collapse into the earth and they're not telling you that because they're like we're greedy we want to get this gold we'll take care of it we'll make sure the beams are up but they're not being very careful yeah that kind of reminded me of another idea if you have this small town and and maybe the authority figure in the town isn't a mayor or a women's circle or whatever, it's the big government come in. I think of the movie Braveheart, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You've got this small little town and you're they're occupied by a much stronger military. And with a lot of that comes conflict and corruption. And so there's, a, there's some good avenues there. I mentioned it earlier, but one murder in a town of not that many people that's not something that people like just like shrug off like in a huge city murders happen all the time in a small town one murder and that's a really important thing who killed this person why will they strike again do we have a somebody in the town who's going to continuously try to kill people and that's really scary that's going to set your whole town to like sleepless nights they're all going to be trying to burn uh, oil lamps throughout the night to try and make it so whoever did that in this town doesn't know if they're actually awake or not in their house. It's going to set the whole town off in a different direction of how they act. That could be another like mystery that you and your PCs need to find out who was the one that killed this person and why. There could be a situation where maybe there's a, a house in this town that's been abandoned for years. It's known by all the people in this town as a local haunted house. But until this moment, it's just been like a local legend. People have talked about it. Kids go up and they knock on the door and they they say that they hear like a, a woman screaming inside or whatever. But what happens if that suddenly local legend starts becoming real and there is a ghost in that town? And especially for like low level adventures like that ghost can become crazy. Chris, we dealt with a ghost with the 5e rules in the Voyage of the Unending Sea, and their crazy thing where they can make you age, like 1d4 times 10, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you fail the save, like, you could have a kid go to this house, and this kid comes back, and he's like a 40-year-old <laughs> man now, and people are trying to figure out who this kid is, and he... <laughs> He's like saying, it's me, it's me, little Billy, the orphan boy who lives in the street and is secretly a sorcerer. And my name my name is Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically the plot, the big here, except yeah, with right. ghosts. <laughs> but yeah, like that would be crazy, especially if this town is not, does not have a wizard running it. That magic is very weird and like, it's crazy. And so to have a, a somebody aged like that, like, what do they do? Do you just, as warriors, go off and try to attack, uh, like, beat this ghost? Or do you say, all right, well, everybody in the surrounding houses, let's move you all away. <laughs> yeah. Or you have that happen, and then from that comes the crazy old guy that lives in the town or the old woman who lives in the town that everybody's afraid of because they just keep telling the same story over and over. And maybe it's that's the one thing that's happened to this person, and then the ghost leaves. Yeah. You know, they just leave, and then it's just – this person left to deal with what happened and nobody believing them. And they become like the town drunk or the town beggar or whatever, the old, you know, the old person who has the crazy story of a ghost. And then they, you could have so many fun interactions with that person as well until you find out that they were actually right. So maybe this happened 40 years ago and you weren't even born yet, but then this ghost comes back and this person's like, see, I told you, I told you this was actually <laughs> happening. 
Yeah, you could also have uh, a mind flare showing up to town oh, and just seeing <laughs> that town is just, right. That town's in trouble. <laughs> Your town is just a town of cattle uh, for this mind flare to take over and mind Ugh. control. And all of a sudden, you got people walking around and you can't quite tell if they've been taken over or controlled and what's going on. You're like level two characters. <laughs> <laughs> you can level up, and you want the threats to become more dangerous. Like you could have a dragon that settles in the mountain just outside of town. And this dragon is intelligent, and it knows that nobody's going to care about this stupid little town. And so he's said, he's told the town, listen, you guys are going to pay tribute to me every month. This is what you're going to give to me. It could be something as like crazy as, uh, you're going to sacrifice one, do- one guy to me every month so I can just chill and eat that guy. Or I'm going to burn your entire town. And if I get wind that you have told the local authorities, the other cities around you, well, I'll burn your town and then I'll burn their towns. So you better do what I say. And how do your PCs react to that? And do they have to go and slay this dragon now? Or could they slay that dragon? Could, could that be the overarching thing that happens in that town where you have to just live in that tension of we can't do this. Yeah. So we just have to keep doing what he wants. And maybe you're good guys, but you're sent out on dangerous missions from this dragon who is telling you to go into the big towns, which you don't want to do, but you have to go into the big towns and retrieve items for them. And how would that play out if you get caught in this big town and all of a sudden they're like, you're doing this for a what? You, <laughs> I'm sorry, you got sent by a dragon? And then you're turned into like the town crazy person, you know? And so it, you could have really interesting moments with that as well. Yeah, maybe you live in a world where dragons are thought to be all dead, like a Skyrim kind of thing. And so you have told other towns and asked for help And nobody believes you. And so your town is just stuck in this like, but we know that there's a dragon and he will kill us if we don't do what he says. Yeah, you could have a a town that for whatever reason is the only town that survived some sort of apocalyptic event. Uh, Whatever it is, make your own apocalypse. And this is the town of survivors. And they've got to somehow survive together the coming onslaught. And all of a sudden this town becomes sort of a refugee camp for other people who have survived. And there's a huge reason, well, why don't they leave? because there's nowhere else to go (laughs) right there's like this is the as far as we know this is the last of the survivors in the entire world and so we're trying to build a civilization we're trying to rebuild civilization starting with this town i love yeah it's like a it was like a plague or something that hit the whole rest of the world but because no traders ever came into this area for a while it didn't reach them so the plague is like completely dead and then you're like well why is nobody going who's going to go and find out why the traders aren't coming anymore. We're running out of the supplies that we need. And yeah. you go back and you just find these decimated cities. And everybody, like, you just, you have all of this wealth and all of this food and all of this stuff. But it means nothing because there's nobody to really trade it with except for the people that are in your town now. And so how does how do you rea- react to that being the last, you know, hundred or so people that you know are alive in this world? So that's what we have for you for this edition of The Meat. We hope that these things really inspired you to go and possibly try a small town game because, as we know, in a small town, the stakes are extremely high for the things that you do in that town. So, Fluffle Jared, we just want to thank you for being on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. If people want to share their ideas or contact you to ask you a few more questions about a small town campaign, where can they get a hold of you at? The best place to reach me is on Twitter at Dungeon Pastor. So, if you want to go and reach Jared, reach out to Jared. He would be more than happy to continue this conversation with you, the listener. So, Jared, we'll have you join us again on a future episode. But until then... Say goodbye to listeners. Goodbye to listeners. That's what I thought you'd say. (laughs) So we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that this has spurred your imagination and your passion to go out and DM a one-town campaign. I think there's a lot of great stuff that can come out of that. Chris, if they would like to get in touch with us, if they would like to email us and ask us questions about D&D or tell us about maybe a one-town campaign that they did run at some time or just share some ideas with us that they had for one-town campaigns or anything else D&D, where can they reach us at? 
Yeah, you can reach us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us your emails there. You can also go on iTunes and give us a review. That's one way that you can help this show out to grow and get in front of more people is go and leave us a five-star review, and you'll also get a shout-out on a future episode. And you can find us on Stitcher and also on Google Play Music. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have updates about the show, D&D, memes, and just all kinds of role-playing goodness. And we have another Patreon member to give a shout-out to this week. And this week's Patreon member is... Nicholas Tope! Thank you so much, Nicholas, for your support. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Nicholas is a dreaded silver dragon. So, Nicholas, we hope that you are on the forums in the Patreon Dragon Only section and giving us some awesome feedback of the future of our show. Well, that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk, of course, about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a great night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.